Hi there. My name is David Young, and I've built this podcast for all of us photographers looking for some extra inspiration. Every Friday, I interview local photographers about the how and the why behind their projects, and at the end of each episode, I add a thought or a challenge for both of us to consider as we continue our pursuit of awesome photography. You can help me keep this project growing by sharing this podcast with your photo-loving friends and by subscribing and leaving a review or a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Ultimately, the goal is to stir up conversation and thoughtfulness about photography as a practice, and I wanted to start each episode with a thank you. Your attention and focus on these artists and these conversations help the community at large keep growing. So, without further ado, welcome to my viewfinder. You know, speaking about having as many you know lenses on the ground, the problem that I see is uh, politicization. So, you know, with the Russian influence of Facebook and all this kind of shit, do you think like the problem right now with photography might be that like I don't have access to all the angles? You know, if I open up the Calgary Herald, I'll get one picture and one narrative. If I open up, I don't know what's the more right-leaning National Post, Calgary Sun. I don't, I, I don't know who's on the left. Rebel. I don't think there's a left and right anymore. Yeah, well, uh, Rebel uh, versus the Sprawl. The right. So you know what an editor or you know a mechanism will choose to put on and what articles they choose to write. You and I might be more capable of choosing to read both. I don't. I mean, I, I'm not going to put rebel news on my algorithm, but <laughs> yeah, um, well, sh- should I, right? I mean, is that how we get a balanced idea of photography? You know, getting literally both sides, a picture from both sides of the scene. Uh, is that a way that photography can maintain some kind of uh, I don't know, diplomacy, fact-checking, rationality. <laughs> yeah, and like that's a good question too, because you know, like, how do you how do you deal with bias? Do you try to represent both sides uh, equally? What does it even look like? Does you know that media, you know, more neutral media outlets have failed on that in the past? Again, I'll bring up climate change, where it's you know, do you report as as though both sides of the climate change are uh, debate are equal even though it's debate right you know like most scientists agree that it's a real thing do you give equal airtime to people who don't believe it because it's definitely minority it's not a scientific fact like do you do you give air to both of those things generally now the i think the answer to that is no because it's not balanced really it might be fair but it's not balanced there's some markets, like every country deals with this differently too, in terms of bias. You know, the United States, Canada, Great Britain, they all deal with bias differently. Great Britain, they lean really hard into those biases. Like, you know when you're reading a right-leaning paper, it's like they're, they're not gonna hide it. But then you kind of do end up falling into those echo chambers because you're right, the average person just has their one thing. At any time they perceive an alternate take, they'll just discard that immediately. Whereas Canada, we try to be more fair and balanced, but even then people are, like you read the comment section on any Herald or National Post or Global Mail story, and it's all just bashing. It can be a story that's totally unrelated. They're just bashing the other side, right? So, uh, I mean, they try to be fair and unbalanced in, in Canada. That's a thing that we're taught in journalism school is to be, you know, try to represent both sides of things and to be critical of, of everything. So again, there's there's no real good answer to that, but I think that the danger of making uh, like forming echo chambers when you do have really polarized media, you know, in theory, in a perfect world, everybody reads everything and it'll 
you know, presents like a, like a story that's kind of like somewhere in the middle. With photographers on the ground, that might be the case. But then when it gets sent back to those outlets, like how does that, how does that jive, right? That doesn't necessarily translate all the way from, from shutter click to rolling off the press or, or you know, publishing on WordPress or whatever they're using. So yeah, I, uh, I guess <laughs> there's a good answer to that. This is this, a lot of this conversation is going to be going. I don't know, man. If I had this figured out, I they would be paying me a lot more. <laughs> well, I, I maybe yeah, maybe the trap is it, it is truly an unsolvable issue. Maybe part of the human condition in itself, but yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. My viewfinder is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network is a program to support Albertan podcasts by connecting us with local businesses and initiatives to keep our stories and our interests at the fore. If you're interested in finding more Albertan podcast content in a wide range of topics, check out their website, albertapodcastnetwork.com, or you can connect with them over social media. They are at albertapodnet on both Instagram and Twitter. This episode of My Viewfinder is brought to you by the Calgary Foundation, proudly supporting community needs for 65 years. Empathy, kindness, generosity. We are united in our desire to give, to inspire hope, and transform the lives of people who are struggling in turbulent times. The Calgary Foundation is here to help. From mental health programs to environmental causes, the Community Knowledge Center website features profiles of charitable organizations, all searchable by area of interest. Be inspired by compelling stories. Be informed of innovative work. Be responsive to the needs. To connect to hundreds of outstanding charitable organizations serving our community, visit ckc.calgaryfoundation.org. To learn more about Calgary Foundation, just visit calgaryfoundation.org. Last week, we met Stefan and learned about how his focus and work in photojournalism comes with awareness of both the positive and negative impacts images have on the public discourse. This week, we wrap up our talk with some musings of his personal projects and staying passionate in a field that can be pretty draining. Frankly, I don't think this is restricted to journalism or photography, but modern living in general. How do we stay involved in our passions when burnout is so common? Let's find out how he does it and see if there are any lessons for all of us. But like just moving away a little bit from, I feel like we're pushing too far into the politics. Uh, you know, do you, do you shoot like personal projects outside of the journalism world? Yeah, I do. I, I, I do shoot for, for all my personal projects. I actually shoot film, but most of them are just like, really like benign things to relax me like oh well i'll take photos of things that are discarded items and then try to write little short stories about them just to kind of, kind of keep my my writing and photography sharp and and you know kind of try to try to exercise my atrophying imagination as i get older um try to you know prevent that slow decline into alzheimer's maybe i mean it's it's kind of fun because there's there's no pressure on it I don't think many people are ever going to see them, maybe. They're kind of just for me. And I think that's also an important thing in photography, too. We're, we've been talking so much about how do we how do we use photography to influence people or how does photography influence the outside world. But I think that within your own personal group or even with just yourself, your own photography can influence you, too. Because I, I definitely, like, 
makes me slow down, look at things in the world that I see because it's you know you get the road uh, the road off and travel syndrome where you take the same route going to work or going to pick up groceries again and again and again and you just you know your brain just tunes that out. But if you slow down and actually look at things, you start seeing light. You start seeing problems that maybe you didn't know about, or maybe you discover something about yourself. You know, you're going on little little adventures. I think during the pandemic, that's really important because it feels like you know life is stalled out for a lot of us. So, uh, like putting those little adventures on yourself is really important to do, and I think really rounds out your life a little bit. So, you know, sometimes I'll just go out and take Polaroids of, of things that are on the street and then try to write little short stories about them. I'm really bad at it, but that's okay because you don't need to be great at something. And you learn more about yourself when you're trying a new skill a lot of the time. I mean, get back to me, but I try knitting. That's going to be terrible. I, I'm probably going to just hate myself for, for, for trying that. My wife might try to teach me. Who knows? I don't think she has the patience for that. So, yeah. So I, I do personal projects and... I love seeing other people's personal projects too, especially the ones that they published. Louis Villanueva, he's uh, been on your show before. I used to see him all the time when I went to the camera store. And when I moved away from Calgary, I, temporarily he, he came to my going away party, but I, I always try to support his work when I can. And he published a book and I was like, I'm on it. I got to have that because, you know, it's his personal photography. I want to see how he looks at the world. And it was really interesting. I still have it here, actually. But I love being able to support my friends and their personal projects. And I think that kind of goes around because it's really it's really a lifestyle for all of us. Sometimes it's almost a religion for people. So, uh, you know, buying their Bibles and reading what they're all about is, is important. When you put your work out into the world, people learn a little bit more about you too. And you learn a little bit about yourself. Oh, I, it's, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe everything we do in action has a spiritual connotation because it relates us to the environment we're in. I guess I asked that question just because uh, it's interesting to hear that you're out and you also are engaged with using the camera just to be in the world. <laughs> you know, even if, the camera's a funny thing because we're kind of separated, you know, literally by the lens. So there's, there's one bridge between, so a found object or, a, you know, a, a castaway glove or a, probably a lot of masks right now. And, um, you know, there's a difference between going down and touching this likely, you know, uh, contagious piece of shit or taking a photograph or walking by it. I, I love the idea of um, breaking apart from, we may twist back into social commentary, but uh, <laughs> the sort of norm we have of just uh, living this structured industrial life, right? Like you get up at this time, you go to this place, you take the same route because you know it's the most efficient. Photography is a great opportunity, more I think because it can be so casual than a lot of other hobbies to take an extra turn or to like try to find a different way to walk through if you're engaged in it. Yeah, I like this idea that it's relaxing. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't have to always that. be yeah. like just a slog. And, you know, pressing a button, especially if you're using a Polaroid, like it requires, like maybe I'll offend some people, it requires no discipline compared to other hobbies, really. Like you just, like how hard is it to grab your camera, like set a exposure comp on, on a Polaroid and just press a shutter button? Sure, you might waste a few frames, but like, you know, you're going to get something that you're probably, you know, at least kind of happy with. It's not like, you know, you're woodworking or, or knitting or crocheting or something where you have to like swear at it by dropping stitches and, <laughs> and things, unless you're developing film, in which case it's very high intensive, but <laughs> that's another story. Uh, does your wife use a camera? 
because or has she been turned off by you <laughs> yeah <I've, laughs> just the camera right no uh yeah no uh, she she occasionally she likes to photograph but she uh is on the end of she doesn't want to put like she already has a hobby that's very technically intensive like she well when i say hobby she she loves to knit so it, it's very very intensive technically and i don't think that she has like photography can get very technically intensive too i don't think that she wants to go into that as much especially because i'm so obsessed with it although recently so a, a little bit about that like i i noticed one of the little talking points like who's your favorite person and i'm like what's well, gonna be my wife i mean i also have to say that but it's funny because she uh had a bit of a creative journey herself that's not really associated with photography but kind of has made me re-examine my creativity so she went to school for a Bachelor of Business Administration uh, at Mount Royal. That's where we met. And then she also got into a grad school at Queens in Kingston, which is why we moved here. And then, you know, kind of when COVID hit, she was like, well, do I go back to Calgary? Like, you have a job here. What are we, we going to do? And we decided, like, why don't you just take, like, a post-grad course in user design? Why not? Because she used to work for Benevity in, in Calgary. So she just, like, she was always uh, one of those people who you don't, like there's two schools of thought really when you go into like a job like do I go into a career because I love it or do I you know find something else that I want to do uh, that'll just make me money and that I can pursue my passions on the side right and I was always kind of like I gotta I gotta do what I love for my life I gotta like jump in head first like this is what I'm doing I'm a photographer I'm a journalist this is who I am this is what I do for fun this is also what I do for work I gotta pursue my passion because I I can't work somewhere where I am not interested in what I do. I just can't force myself to do it. That's why I love my job right now because I I work as a videographer at, at Queens, so I I love doing that. But she was always gonna like oh, I can tolerate stuff that I'm not super interested in. I'll do a good job anyway, and I'll just like do what I love on the side. But then she found design and immediately was like I love this. I wanted this for a living. This is amazing. And for me, that kind of realization happened earlier when I was in my teens. It's so interesting to see how that can happen to someone later in life, especially because my dad's a graphic designer. So she has a mentor now in her father-in-law. She, it's not the stereotype where you hate your in-laws. She, her and my dad talk a lot uh, where I'm like, are you guys going to be like best friends now? This is funny. So it's it's been interesting and it's kind of like maybe re-examine why I do what I do. And it's also an infectious attitude that you really feed off of being around. You know, like you had that earlier, I'm just kind of like coasting off that that high from my teens where I'm like, still going to keep it going. But then seeing that happen to somebody later in their life is, is a beautiful thing. And I, people should try different things, really, like whether it's photography, even if you're a photographer, try a different type of photography. Put some obstacles in for yourself. Try developing film. We're not going anywhere. Um, you can still buy all the stuff for it and, and learn. Maybe you'll find something that you really, truly love. And... A lot of times for me, those kinds of things will inform other work that I'm doing. So I'll, I'll be do, out doing something. And I know that she does the same thing where she'll be doing um, something that she loves. And then suddenly it informs the work that she's doing. And you find solutions that you didn't really know were there before. You know, my thought while you're speaking is this essence of maybe the human condition of the term uh, creativity or creation. I mean, it has, you know, of course, biblical and religious connotations, but... Uh, as people, at least of our ilk, there's something uh, empowering, isn't there, of like building something, be it an image or uh, a graphic design or like a model. 
Shit, like, uh, and I often joke because the one profession that I know I'd be terrible at is like accounting. So I often tease accounting. But like, I am sure that people who love it find ways. Like, I remember when I was, yeah, I, I don't know if this is still fascinating, but you know, I saw someone make Tetris operational on Excel, right? Um, there are things you can do uh, outside of the typical stereotype of uh, of a job or of of a of an action that are creative inherently and there's something empowering about that i think that's what i've been missing in photography um a little bit which is that sense of uh, magic you know like that that it doesn't even need to be valued by somebody that there's just some some power of going out and yeah hit it for us hitting a shutter but uh, i am doing a little bit of light uh, I YouTube design like uh, video production, podcasting layout. I'm trying to make a book. Yeah, learning that stuff is fascinating, and it does change the way I shoot. I think when I get back outside, I'll let you know whether I take pictures differently. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean it, it. It can always change the way, and like it's okay if you evolve with it. And I think it's okay if you know there's periods of time where you don't create anything. I think that people create things. You know, I mean, when you're when you're making dinner, for God's sake, you're creating something. You're always kind of making some kind of creative decisions. Do I use garlic salt or do I use turmeric? It's probably terrible because I don't think those things are interchangeable at all. Uh, I just added myself as a bad cook too, probably. But, you know, like you're always making these decisions and you're creating a little bit, right? So I don't know. I think it all kind of just adds to this wonderful fabric of our lives that really we can always take a part in, you know, just make sure you show up to it. But, you know, then again, if, you know, if you have uh, depression and mental health issues or, you know, have anxiety and panic and all those things, um, I want people to know that's okay if they don't have time to do it. It's, it's, it's fine. Or, you know, there was a time where I, like, I had a panic disorder too. I'm just kind of coming off of that in the last couple of years. It, it, but like, there was a time where I, like, I just didn't do anything. I also think that was gradually contributed to because when I was in Calgary, it was really hard for me to find work in terms of like work that I really wanted to do. And a lot of it was just personal projects. But if all you're doing is personal projects and then, well, at least for me, if all I'm doing is personal projects and then just like working at a retail job, it's, I just feel like I'm not making an impact or, or, or helping anything other than myself. And I just like, it really stressed me out to the point where I just had a bit of a breakdown. And I think, yeah, I, that, this is going to get into a whole bunch of political stuff too, because I, I graduated from Mount Royal, tried to apply to all these kinds of jobs that I would love to have done, but then they would always get snapped up by people who were like 10, 20 years more experienced with me, or than me that got laid off of the oil sector. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do here? Like I was working retail at the time, which is fine. I, I really enjoyed that. But then I was like, you know, I still need to find meaning in my work and create something because I, I do tie heavily my own personality to photography, to being a journalist, to telling stories. Cause I, I don't just take like one off pictures. I, I need to, stories are important to me. So I'm not kind of like the person who tells a story in one photograph. I need to tell stories in a series of photographs or have a photograph accompanied by writing or, you know, um, being able to have sort of a project. I like the adventure of it. I like the, you know, being able to like put on your boots and go out and, and shoot something to its completion and, and tell a complete little novella right but it, like i wasn't doing that i just felt sort of dead inside and it kind of like led me to you know amongst other things you know start sleeping less diet gets worse and suddenly you're at a breaking point but I, i'm in a good place now which is great but there's a struggle for a lot of people out there who are creative who i think is very similar i i know lots of people who when i was going through this i really really, really reached out to people 
a lot of creative people, um, like at the beers and cameras, I remember talking about this. It's like, guys, like I don't know what's going on with me. And they're like, oh yeah, like we all have very similar problems. And you'd be surprised about the struggles that other people around you are going through, especially creatively. I think that's why it's such an important thing for me to support my friends and, and what they're doing. Like if a friend of mine creates a book, I gotta buy it. If a friend of mine is like, I had a friend who's a designer um, who created, like he started selling t-shirts. I have a friend who's in a metal band or uh, like he runs his own metal band. I don't even really listen to metal, but I like went and I shot some of his recording and I bought his album and I listened to it. I learned about him. I thought it was fascinating, but everybody's going through their own issues in terms of this. So I think that's important to be able to support people. I think if I could tell the world one thing, it's just like support the people around you. Try to like lift them up as much as you can because you never really know what they're going through. I was just talking to Jennifer Sandver and she brought up an interesting description of podcasting as the rebirth of civilian journalism or whatever it was. Uh, and I, I thought it was an interesting take, you know, this idea like the iPhone, the iPhone is the new street photography camera, but you know, you get this viral movement of some, like all of this, let's say right now, as of April 2nd, right now it's uh, anti-Asian. I mean, it's really just hate crimes. Uh, I think it's class warfare. We'll, we'll worry about the definitions of all that kind of shit. But right I now, can't be all. Are... there's room for all kinds of crap. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it so, is class warfare. So right now, right now we have this trend of people uh, iPhone videoing random people punching old Asian grandmas on the street. So it's raw in that it's seemingly unedited. We don't get a lot of context because they tend to be small clips that are tailored towards Instagram or tweets or or TikTok, wherever the fuck these things are coming up. Often by the time you take your camera out, something has already occurred. I mean, it's not like, unless they're staged, you don't, I mean, I don't have my video running, uh, hoping that I'll catch some asshole doing something insane. So it's, it's interesting right now, like how much information photography is giving everybody, but, or video, I mean, it's a great, I, I'm, I need to try to find somebody who does film. I, I you know, the correlation between uh, photography and video is fascinating too. You know, giving it life, but I think there's even more bias uh, with with video than there is with photography. I mean, yeah, I, I love talking about photography and, and talking about ethics, especially in photojournalism or, or journalism where people actually want to and don't just say vulgar things about their subjects. Like that AP photographer, I won't name him, but I was very surprised. Yeah, I'm I'm really. It, it, it's nice to be able to chat with people who are invested in the art and doing the right thing and and trying to figure out and wrestling with these topics too. Do you think that I think you I think you've kind of I think you kind of touched on this too. The length of time in which a story is told must affect its perspective. Because if I meet you in the first like so we've just met and if I make an assumption about your character but then if we continue to meet over 10 years that's going to evolve how I tell the story. Maybe what photograph I use to demonstrate. Do you find that you know, with the work that you do both on personal projects, with wanting to make sort of long-form narrative work, is that something that you're conscious of? Is that something that's important? Or do you think um, we need information as quickly as possible to make different types of decisions, you know, whether it's for society or for our personal position on, on stuff? You know, how, how do I get, how do I get to choose my best life, Stephen? I mean, help me, <laughs> help me figure my life out in, uh, in one last word here. Oh man. What's what's the best way to tell a story? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, oh man, that's, that's tricky. Well, in the same way, I think that we're all different people 
throughout our lives. You know, I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. You know, it, even your cells, you know, are swap out every so once in a while. I think that if you're undertaking a long-term project, you have to be okay with pivoting a lot. Especially like now with COVID, it's changed a lot of the long-term work that I've been doing anyway. So, uh, for example, doing this uh, long-term project that was up in the uh, the north uh, in Grand Cache, that started off as I didn't even know there was the Mountain Métis. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going out to learn about them. Here's what the here's what their businesses are. It's it's the lifeblood of that community. Here's their you know a lot of like you know, kind of like cultural translation. A lot of finding things fascinating. And, you know, like also they do a lot of guiding and I wanted to like explore that and then share that with people. Sadly, I wasn't able to get to that yet. But now, I mean, if I was going to go back like today, the story would look totally different. It would be, you know, like how is COVID affected the lifeblood of the community with, with their guiding? Like a lot of different things, uh, you know, like how that community is responding to it. So I think with people doing long-term projects, if you're just doing the project with one thesis, that's fine going, going across it. But uh, if, if you're a journalist, too, as well as a documentarian, and there is sort of a distinction there a little bit, I, I think that they, there's a considerable overlap, but it's not always the same thing. I think that you can also splice up those long-term projects into shorter stories, because sometimes you find something that is really self-contained that you can tell in like a shorter term, and then you know give that to people, publish that in a more shorter-term place, but, as well as doing a longer-term project. But the things that you see are going to change your original you know, not necessarily a hypothesis, but, you know, the things that you kind of had set out to do, uh, like you might change that 10 times uh, over the course of years. And that's fine. The same way that, you know, when you meet somebody once, you, you get like a little snapshot of who that person is at that time. But that person is is a living thing. And sometimes the stories are a living thing too, where they're constantly changing. I mean, the stories are about people and people are always changing. So, you know, why shouldn't your stories? And I think that's a responsible way to do it not just to stick to uh, a hypothesis that you're still trying to prove that's never going to be proven anymore because you're, you know, the people have changed. The story has changed. Things are different now. Uh, the same way that your opinion of a person now might be one thing. And then in 10 years, when you meet that person again, or over the course of 10 years, something might happen where maybe your, your opinion is going to change. So I, I think that Time really does change a lot of things about a person. Uh, there's there, a lot of cynical people will say like, oh, you know, like people never change. Stories never change. You know, it's, I don't know. I, having done a lot of long-term projects, I think that people do change who they are, especially if you're young. You know, like I, I don't think the same things that I did when I was 15, when I was 20. I mean, it's not to say that you shouldn't be responsible for those things because you are that person, but you are also a different person who evolves and changes. So, yeah, I think um, the important thing to do is to stay with it and kind of celebrate the change, really, just to not get stuck in one mode of thought. I think, you know, things like relationships are like that, too. You know, you got to make sure that you're, you know, rolling with the punches there. So would you, at least for yourself, think that uh, an important part is to publish or put out pieces with the courage to suggest that you can pivot? Because I do feel as well, like if I want to keep something in a pot for 10 years, it's going to fester a little bit too. But like, you know, maybe as creative advice, either for potential photojournalists that may stumble across this podcast or just other creators, do you think, is it better for me to, to just let people know where I'm at right now? or to wait until I'm confident enough to tell the full story as I see it. Do you think there's, 
your experience has given you an idea that one is more important than the other? <laughs> Honestly, I think it's situation specific. I don't think there's any one universal answer there because if, if you publish a part of a long-term project too early and then you publish it later down the road, people will be like, I already saw that. You know, what's new? Who cares? Uh, I mean, you could publish that in a gallery. I mean, this is if you're looking at it for publishing this at all, right? Or just putting it on your, on your Instagram or chasing likes. But there's, we live in a, a medium rich world where there's so many different ways to tell so many different types of stories that you could look at something and be like, I think a podcast would be great for this. Or I think a couple of interviews would be good for this. Or I, I want to sit down and do a video interview with this person. At the same time that you're taking pictures of a community or you're taking pictures of a story, or even um, in my case, I do a lot of local news stories right now. And a lot of that is actually informing longer term works that I want to do. For example, I'm covering a lot of housing stuff, which might seem really boring. <laughs> Sometimes it is, but it's also leading to uh, like a lot of social issues that, you know, there's not enough housing for people. So how do people uh, who are in lower income brackets deal with that? And there's not a lot of visual, at least in the community where I'm living right now, there's not a lot of visual representation of that. So in a way, I'm, I'm already kind of publishing that work, but it's not really metastasized yet to the point where somebody would be like, oh, I've already seen that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm taking what I'm learning and the connections that I've made to try to make a larger social impact over the longer term, which certain smaller communities don't have. So I'd say that creative advice wise, if you're looking at a longer term project that you want to publish as a long term piece, like all in a package on its own, don't publish it early. What you could do is if you're trying to pitch that to somebody, shoot a little bit on your own as a proof of concept first, kind of like, this is what I can do. This is my idea. Here's why I can do this. And then bring that to someone that you want. Might might be a gallery, might be Globe and Mail, might be whoever. Uh, and be like, here's what I can do. And then keep working on it and keep working on it because they might not take it, but it's still, if there's something they're really passionate about, don't necessarily give up on it right away. Although <laughs> this could be expending considerable resources on your part too. And it might, you might just end up having to self-publish it. But if it's something you're really passionate about, you know, resist that urge maybe to put it up on Instagram right away. Work on other stuff concurrently because a lot of journalists, like I'm working on, like I have a one a note page full of like eight different projects I'm concurrently working on. And some of them are short-term stuff. This is why I think it's also really important to make some short-term projects to kind of show what you're made of. And then also be working on long-term stuff. So you kind of scratch that itch of publishing something right away while also working on something with larger impact because things generally tend to have more impact when you're publishing it all at once rather than just like increments. Yeah, you really just have to make the decision for yourself. But I, I would discourage people from you know, jumping the gun a little too early. So basically, I need to start more projects. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're like a, if you, a person like with ADHD like me, um, that means that I just like... I never finish a project before I start a new one, which is kind of um, a bit of a good thing in my line of work in that like, that's what you're kind of supposed to do. You're supposed to have all these like plates spinning at once. But for a lot of artists, uh, they're like, I can never fix, like I can never finish one thing. I gotta always go on to the next thing and next thing and next thing. But you know, you maybe use that as a strength, you know, like if there's something that interests you, go for it. And then come back to another project when you're feeling ready. There's no pressure unless you're you know, on a deadline. Like I, for some reason, picked a, an industry where I'm constantly under deadline. But if you're an artist, unless you're on commission, you don't really have that that pressure. You know, the only person that you're putting pressure on is yourself, really. So, you know, go nuts. Like, why not? 
have fun with it. That's what we're all in this, right? We're just supposed to be having fun with it. Like if you're just yeah. miserable trying to make work, like why? I actually talked to this novelist for a story that I was writing and she's like, I hate writing. I hate it so much. <laughs> and I'm like, why do you do it then? She's like, I hate the act of writing. I love going to the places and I love like talking to the people and doing the research. And I like the end result. I love having written, but I hate like when I have to sit down and my editor's on my ass and just like pounding it out and you're like eight cups of coffee in and you want to just jump off of a bridge. Like, and I'm like, I feel that. Like when I'm like writing about city hall stuff sometimes, I'm like, oh my God, why did I go into a, I basically am a, a person who's wanted to have homework as a living for the rest of my life. Like I, I'm kind of like, I have to, uh, because I have editors that are like, where's your story? Like, where is it? And I'm like, I'm doing this so that I can do longer term stuff. Uh, it's fine, but it, yeah, it's it's tricky that <laughs> you, it, there's always pressure, right? So it's just learning where to where you can best support that pressure is is the trick. It sounds like good advice, whether you're in journalism or not. Just uh, trudge through the through the homework part because it's important too. Yeah, informing. So, sometimes you gotta like take the pills. It might not taste very good, <laughs> but you gotta take them. One of the reasons I took so long. Uh, graduating from undergrad is because I could never find the right balance. Like I could never find the right like balance of work and school. And I was in the military for a little time. So like that, um, I had that all at once because I just took on too much. And it just like, I crumbled under the, and I just kept doing it. And I'm like, why is, why is this not working? Said 22 year old idiot me. Well, I'm like, why am I like doing so much? And I'm still not able to do it. I don't know why. And I'm constantly withdrawing from things and like not wanting to get out of bed face the day because I have like 80 billion things to do. I did it to myself. Learning where to say no, uh, learning where, like how to balance your own schedule took me forever. And I, I feel like some people are like that too, where if, you know, if you're finding that you're not having time enough for the day to create or, or to do those things, or you're finding that like just under too much, like it's okay to drop a couple things. Not everybody's, I think everybody looks up like at least it's like for for me i was pressured pretty early to be like an overachiever where i like needed to be constantly like doing like 80 things at once doing them all really well and being like a prodigy doing awesome things but like not everybody can really sustain that like maybe for a short term but like you get the burnout quick so when it comes to creativity if, if that's like a reason to be don't burn out because you can like put your camera down for a really long time that's sad because People like me, I want to see your work. I want people to like, I love going on Instagram and like checking out the cool things people do, whether it's bad or whether it's good, but I'll add something. So somebody out there wants to see it and it's okay if that person is you and that person should be you. It's okay if you hate your own work because that's a step to making something better. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, we did it. We, we did, did it. it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if any of that is interesting or would help. That's great. Yeah. If it wasn't interesting, we wouldn't be here talking still. I, uh, I think I'm going to hang up, up on the you phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I appreciate your time. I think that was great. Totally. Um, yeah. Thank you. This week, I've got a message for you from Rumi. Cold trance, flickering lights, and where's that leak coming from? If you've ever wondered what's really going on in your home, Rumi's Ask a Home Inspector service can help. Connect with a certified professional home inspector by phone or video call and get your questions answered. Rumi will let you know what's easily fixable with a little DIY 
or when you might need to call some professional help. Visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, and book your Ask a Home Inspector appointment today. I think the best part of meeting Stefan has been to learn the mindset of someone dedicated to a lifelong passion and a field rife with tension and immersion in the world. It's also been important to learn of how he developed and continues to develop a balanced approach to living. It's draining to commit absolutely every ounce of energy to prove abstract things to abstract people. I mean, I think this is one of the main forces behind burnout. Many of us grow up thinking we need to do more and produce more and do all this stuff all of the time. It's a very industrialist culture where output has to be measurable and comparative. But Stefan's experience has taught him differently. Putting down projects and stress can, ironically, increase our capacity to do more projects. It's an odd thought that taking a break may be essential not only for our own mental health, but our ability to sustain our passion over the long term. As someone who's continually collapsed my life over and over again, I think there's important insight here. I'll have to consider just how many projects and pieces I'm trying to juggle at any one moment and see if there are a few that I can put down. Take the worry away that putting it down might be permanent. You know, honestly, if I never pick it up again, should I even have been carrying it anyways? Let's take moments to evaluate what really brings us empowering action. And as the husband of a KonMari consultant, an avid supporter of this method, let's ask ourselves what brings us joy. Not money, not accomplishment, not accolades, joy. And perhaps we'll be inspired to push ourselves even more into these projects that inspire us.